back to the David Glenn Show. More from Roy Williams and Tony Bennett and Jim Beheim and other college basketball heavyweights as we celebrate night number two of that sports regular season and pick over the details of last night's doubleheader at Madison Square Garden and other results locally and nationally. That other level of basketball we love to follow, the NBA is front and center, as is one of the greatest players in Charlotte Hornets history. As we continue the discussion with your calls a little bit later about the future of that Cam Newton guy, has he played his last game in a Panthers uniform? Well, you have to get used to the idea at some point of him wearing a different uniform. NBA fans in the Carolinas have already turned that page because tomorrow night, Maybe the greatest player in Hornets history, that Kemba Walker guy, will be wearing the Boston Celtics uniform as 5-1 Boston, one of the best records in the NBA, visits the surprisingly solid 4-3 Charlotte Hornets. It is a homecoming. TNT will be in town with the television broadcast nationally. Rick Bennell is one of our favorites in that world. Check out his work for the Charlotte Observer and at that website. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show, my man. How are you? David, I'm great. You know, just a couple of hours ago, I was on the phone with Tom Sorensen, and I said to him, imagine six months ago if either he or I had predicted publicly that neither Kemba nor Cam mm. would be in Charlotte in 2020. You guys <laughs> might have been run out of town on a rail, and yet, as usual, you guys would have been right. <laughs> just, it's just wild. You know, I was thinking to myself just a minute ago, um, who would have imagined in a life comes at you pathway that Devontae Graham and Kyle Allen would be the two hottest sports topics <laughs> in Charlotte? <laughs> hey, take that to the window in Las Vegas, Rick. And you and I are doing sports radio shows from your yacht in the Caribbean at some point because that's how that would go. Uh, before we dive into that fun homecoming tomorrow night, let me get your initial thoughts about a league that for a change does not have as much preseason predictability. Technically, LeBron James with his new friends, Anthony Davis, and otherwise have the best record. The L.A. Lakers are 6-1. and one. The Sixers and the Celtics are close behind at 5-1. and one. Uh, Are those the three best teams, three of the best teams, as you've had about, a, what, a half a dozen or so games for each team to chew on? Boy, I'll tell you, you know, I saw um... – I saw the, the Clippers at at sort of half strength and even then thought, boy, these guys have a chance to be really good yeah. because unlike the Lakers, they've got depth. Um, I think the Sixers are the, are the team to beat in the, uh, in the East, even with Giannis being back in Milwaukee. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting coming off a West Coast trip is seeing the Lakers live. Um, and Trey Boston and I were actually talking about this. He's a huge LeBron fan. I, I really respect the degree to which LeBron is playing the long game by letting AD shine totally and, and you know, picking his spots to, you know, to inflict himself on a game. This is a long season. There are 17 seasons of mileage on that body. And I think it, it, it's classic vet move on LeBron's part to say to AD, hey, you go chase that MVP. Get, get back to me when I can give you a hand in April. Last night, the Lakers won despite having LeBron and Anthony Davis on the bench for a long time. I know it was only against the Chicago Bulls, 
but Kyle Kuzma did his thing. Uh, Dwight Howard, it looks like he has a rebirth of sorts. Uh, former UNC star Danny Green is helping now. Former Duke star Quinn Cook is a Laker now. Uh, is there enough depth, perhaps, to overcome what sounded like skepticism uh, in your voice on the Lakers supporting cast? Something has happened with the Lakers that I never thought was possible, which is that Dwight Howard has has learned humility. Yeah. Um, it's the, the it wasn't ju- it isn't just that he's playing for a minimum contract that he's playing for an unguaranteed minimum contract. It's very obvious that he was read the riot act in order to sign there. And I the, the whole way that he is playing right now, as far as a willingness to fit in with other people, to be a truly complimentary player, to stick what he to what he does best, and not stray from that at all. Um, I doubted that that was possible, and it is, apparently. Rick Bennell joining us. Find his work at charlotteobserver.com on Twitter. He is at Rick underscore Bennell. If there were a homecoming for the greatest Panthers players in history, I think it'd be fair to use the label complicated on, you know, someday if Cam returns in a different uniform or, or even Steve Smith had a somewhat complicated return in a different uniform, number 89. It doesn't feel from afar, Rick, that there is anything complicated about Kemba Walker's return to Charlotte while wearing a Boston Celtics uniform. Do do you feel that there is sort of a universal celebration awaiting Kemba tomorrow night with TNT on hand as as I assume Hornets fans are going to give Kemba a huge round of applause? Kemba could not have possibly been any more transparent in saying that his intention was to be Hornet for life. The Hornets had the control of that situation, and they chose not to pay him. Right. Um, and it's as simple as that. When, when Kemba, Kemba is thrilled to be a Celtic, but that never happens unless he hears a number from the Hornets that's way below expectation. Uh, so Kemba didn't choose to leave. The Hornets chose to have him leave. And, and I'm not saying that that makes the Hornets bad people. I think they made a, an honest decision based on the fact that they went three years without, without the playoffs with him as an all-star. But the reality of the situation is there is not a, an iota of legitimate reason for anybody in this town to hold any resentment towards Kemba, and I expect him to be thoroughly un- unequivocally celebrated when he's announced that game tomorrow night most athletes tend to be more sentimental later in life or when they're done playing I mean you probably saw Jake DeLome was like a puddle of tears it meant so much to him to be uh in the Panthers Hall of Honor how would you describe Kemba along these lines because I'm hoping and wishing and, and believing that that universal celebration you're describing will come for Kemba tomorrow is he sentimental at this stage of life given his deep roots in Charlotte the best you can tell yeah, because what's cool about Kemba is he wasn't just from here nine years. He became of here. Yeah. Uh, he is the second most beloved Hornet because it's impossible to exceed Del Curry in that yeah. regard. Yeah. But, I mean, he's adored, and for very good reasons. I'm doing a story for tomorrow talking to his ex-teammates about what Kemba was about. Cool. And I kept hearing this, different versions of the same story. You know what I heard, David, so cool? That he was by far – 
you know, the great, the best player on any recent team. And he went ridiculously out of his way never to not be one of the guys. Cool. You know, Malik Monk was talking to me about how there wasn't a single moment when he was around him when Kemba thought he was different or better than anybody else. He could have been the 15th man. It was it was very important for him to be, you know, part of this. And I'll tell you just how much that's true. When I've talked to Kemba one-on-one up in Boston in the preseason, he told me a story that like a week into uh, preseason, Gordon Haywood went to him and said, hey, we need to have a talk. He said, you are trying too hard to fit in. We didn't, you know, we didn't bring you here to be a helper. Mm -hmm. You go be you. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff, man. If I could pick any person out of the seven billion on planet Earth to write the Kemba homecoming story, I would pick our guest Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. I look forward to reading that. All right, to get us up to date on the Hornets, I read, not in your preview, somebody else's preview, Rick. Maybe you saw this a couple weeks ago. Somebody wrote at ESPN.com that he believed the Hornets were an actual threat if they did not win one of their opening two games the Hornets were a threat to threaten the all-time worst record to start any NBA season ever at like 0-18 or something like that. And yet here the Hornets are with more wins than they have losses as they welcome Kemba and the Celtics to town. Uh, what's going on for James Borrego uh, with uh, a whole bunch of young guys scoring in double digits right now? Well, first of all, the person who wrote that is the utterly brilliant and plugged-in Bobby Marks. And I think Bobby is as good at what he does as anybody is. So believe me, he, you know, if, if it didn't turn out that way, it isn't because Bobby hadn't really thought that through. Cool. Um, I, will, I will tell you, it is really cool that they have won every close game. Um, I will also tell you, John Schulman from NBA.com had a stat today that's important. Um, they may be four and three. They are minus 40 in point differential. If they're not in the in a game at the end, they get their butts kicked. Um, they haven't beaten anybody, quote, good yet. Uh, the Pacers are, you know, I mean, one thing is if the Pacers weren't to make the playoffs, all four victories have been to, against lottery-bound teams. Right. I think the Pacers will be in the playoffs. My point is they're, they're, um, there were people who were sending me really weird stuff on Twitter all summer about how they were going to have the worst record in NBA history. They wouldn't get past 10 wins. And I just laughed at all that. And I, what I would say to people is, let's even forget about how good or bad this Hornets roster is. It is as hard to only win 10 NBA games in the season as it is to only lose yeah. 10 games in an NBA season. And, that's a, that's a you good know, point. But, but what's really cool about this, you know, for anybody who has any smattering of interest in the Hornets, and this is important, is – James Borrego said before the season that he was going to do a hard lean toward youth and that he had the autonomy to do that. And I remember thinking to myself, I believe that he, that he means that. I just don't know how it's going to look in execution. When he turned to Cody Martin, a second-round pick in the last three minutes of that Warriors game, and he became a defensive stopper, made three huge hustle plays, and then last night, you know, he puts Cody Martin in, he plays 27, I'm sorry, plays 33 minutes, does not score a point, but through his defense and rebounding, I mean, impacts that game massively. That's a really gutsy, bold, and creative thing for a coach to do, and it's working. 
Last thing for you on this. When I look at just, you know, the way the Hornets are built salary-wise, Nick, mm-hmm. ba- Nick Batum makes $25 million. I know he's not playing because of an injury reason. But Bismack Biombo makes seventeen million. He comes off the bench. Marvin Williams makes fifteen million. He comes off the bench. Michael Kidd Gilchrist makes thirteen million. He hasn't played much at all, and I'm not sure for the combination of reasons in that regard. So you know, Terry Rozier's twenty million new guy playing a lot, of course. Cody Zeller's a fifteen million dollar guy and playing a lot. Really, the only veteran among those six who are mm-hmm. averaging double digits. What's going on? Is this just, you know, Michael Jordan on down saying we know this is going to be a hard year, so we might as well play the highly paid older guys less and give these, I don't know, uh, up-and-coming younger guys maybe with more passion, more time? David, it was ridiculously overdue that they picked a direction. Um, they hate the word rebuild. They get annoyed with me when I use it. They Mitch tries to call it a transition. It's a rebuild. Yeah, it's a full-on rebuild. And as I have said repeatedly, the whole, the real problem with the Hornets last season is they wouldn't decide whether they were a fish or a cow, and they finally made, picked a course and have given Borrego the latitude to, you know, to do the right thing for the long haul, and that was way overdue. Are you a fish or a cow, Rick Bennell? That's a great. That's a great phrase, man. I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody um, ask well, that before. You well, a fish I'll say or a I would cow? have a hard time. I would have a hard time giving up steak, but I, <laughs> I think, you know, except for maybe two two times a month, I could probably be a pescatorian. <laughs> his name is Rick Bennell. Find his Kemba Walker homecoming and other NBA and Hornets work in the pages of the Charlotte Observer and at charlotteobserver.com. It will be Celtics at Hornets. Uh, Hornets are not on TNT a whole lot, right? I mean, how many national TV games are there for this team this season? Do we even know? I think this is the only one. And, you know, the irony is there are almost never on TNT. Usually on those right? occasions when they are on national television, they're on ESPN. All right. We're following your work regardless of who else happens to be in town at the time. But thanks for the visit. As always, you know, we'll be knocking on your door all season long. David, as I said before, I love having conversations with you. Have a good day. Always fun. Right back at you. Devontae Graham is coming off the bench and leading the, the, the Hornets in scoring at 17 points per game. The new point guard, Terry Rozier, in for the Kemble Walker, if you will, 17 points per game. P.J. Washington, this year's lottery pick out of Kentucky, the big fella, 21 years old, averaging about 15 a game. Miles Bridges, last year's lottery pick, 21 years old, forward from Michigan State, about 13 points per game. Dwayne Bacon, remember him from Florida State, still a young guy as well. He's averaging about 11 a game. So five of your six guys who are in double digits scoring-wise are either brand new or relatively new to the National Basketball Association. Cody Zeller's still under 30. I mean, he's the only double-digit scorer who's been around for quite a while. He's also starting for them. So Graham comes off the bench. Maybe he can make a career for himself the way Vinny Microwave Johnson did. How's that for a blast from the past? Devontae Graham remembers a state of North Carolina guy who was mostly ignored by the in-state bigger programs and ended up 
having a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, overcome expectations every step of the way, college career, and then has to try to make it in the NBA as really an overlooked to a degree guy in terms of his draft status. Malik Monk's still around. Marvin Williams is still around. Bismack Biombo's still around. Michael Kidd Gilchrist was once the number two pick in the NBA draft, and he's barely playing. It's just that the Martin twins are there, formerly of NC State and Nevada. Nick Batum has been out. He's barely played maybe one game with his injury, but he will be back the $25 million man. It's just a weird set of circumstances for the NBA franchise in our backyard. What, don't you agree, Darren? If Cam comes back in a different uniform, I think he'll be celebrated. But it's a complicated equation. No? Is complicated a fair word? Yeah. Heck, there are I, some Panthers fans more... that haven't liked Cam Newton for nine years. Right. And I think that's what might make it even more complicated than the Kimba Walker situation. Oh, even though the organization, Yeah. As, as far as affection toward a pro athlete, I think that one's easy, right? I mean, no, as Rick said, no Charlotte fan has any reason to be displeased. Cam Newton's a divisive figure even in Panthers Nation. Kemba Walker has never been a divisive figure for a second in Hornets Nation or around the NBA, and there's there's just no ambivalence there. What is there not to like? Okay, he's not there anymore, but unless you have no clue as to why he's not wearing the Hornets uniform anymore, maybe you're blaming Kemba because you just don't know any better. Like, why, why else would you not like Kemba Walker? He's, he holds the career records in most of the good categories. He was active in the community. He was great with the media. He was great with fans. He always stayed out of the wrong headlines and was in the right headlines. He represented the franchise as an all-star multiple times. He helped them to the playoffs a few times. He was fun to watch in the years where they were mostly dreadful and not all that fun to watch. He was the reason they had a chance to win if you made your way to the Spectrum Center or you watched on TV. I mean, what's not to like? I hope it is a long, standing ovation filled with appreciation as Kemba Walker is wearing a Celtics uniform tomorrow night and TNT gives us the national broadcast. Boston at Charlotte tomorrow night in NBA action. The Celtics at 5-1, and one, my Sixers at 5-1, and one, and the rebuilt L.A. Lakers at 6-1. and one. Those are the three best records in the NBA. That Lakers story is going to be fun to watch, man. LeBron didn't like not making the playoffs last year. So they, they made the deal for Anthony Davis. He's playing great. Quinn Cook of Duke, Danny Green of Carolina, also there, those guys via free agency. Dwight Howard looks reborn again. And what did uh, Rick Bennell say? Seems to have rediscovered himself or learned humility. Whatever. Dwight Howard doesn't seem to mind his role, doesn't seem to mind how much credit he's getting, and is just a quality backup big man for the L.A. Lakers. Kyle Kuzma isn't a bad third wheel to go with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I think the Lakers matter again. I think LeBron's right back in the championship mix again. It will be interesting to see load management for LeBron now that he's at a somewhat advanced age. But remember, when healthy, he has continued to put up numbers that suggest he remains one of the best players in the NBA. We'll see if he has any NBA titles left in him now that he's a member of the L.A. Lakers. 1-800-849-2761. We've been talking a lot of NFL, the future of Cam Newton, the future of the Panthers at the quarterback position. 
if you're done with Cam and you don't see Kyle Allen as their starter in 2020, who is your longer-term quarterback for the Panthers' future? David Tepper needs an answer to that question. Ron Rivera's job might depend on it. Cam's not playing again this year, and there's a growing belief that he's just not going to wear a Panthers uniform again, although, again, he is under contract with Carolina through next season. That doesn't mean he'll be here. They could trade him. They could cut him and save a whole lot of salary cap space. We'll see. A lot of different directions that'll go. Meanwhile, 5-3 and three Carolina visits the 7-2 and two Green Bay Packers in one of the late afternoon games on Sunday. So even without Cam, the Panthers have a whole lot of intriguing storylines worth following. 1-800-849-2761. College football playoff committee rankings were unveiled last night for the first time in the 2019 season. You have more questions and comments on that. We got our first look at Duke in victory over Kansas. We got our first look at NC State in defeat at home against Georgia Tech last night. We will get our first look at superstar freshman point guard Cole Anthony as Carolina hosts Notre Dame tonight in college basketball action on the ACC network. Another great doubleheader. Last night it was Kentucky over Michigan State and Duke over Kansas. The top four ranked teams in the polls head-to-head in that Madison Square Garden doubleheader. Tonight it's an ACC network doubleheader. Carolina hosting Notre Dame, UVA visiting Syracuse. How will Tony Bennett and the Cavaliers look the year after that school won its first NCAA title in men's hoops. 1-800-849-2761. Your questions, your comments, your complaints. College basketball, college football, and the NFL especially Cam Newton, have driven much of the conversation today. I have a few other tidbits on the NBA, the NHL, and the Florida State football coaching vacancy. You can jump in with your question or comment on the other side. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Every year's a new team, a new excitement comes, and uh, I feel really health-wise the same as I did when I was 50. You always look forward to a new team. It gives you a new life and uh, you're, you're excited about it. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. That was Jim Beheim, the Hall of Famer from Syracuse. As we come back to your calls on Cam Newton and his future, the Carolina Panthers' future at least this season without him and maybe forever without him. We'll see about that. Cam's on injured reserve. He will not be seen again this year in a Panthers uniform. And there's growing speculation that you will never see him again in a Panthers uniform. Do you believe that Kyle Allen is on his way to becoming a Jake DeLong-type story? Undrafted free agent termed long-time starter. Or if you're one of those who's done with Cam, that fits a lot of Panthers fans, and maybe you don't see Kyle Allen as a starter next year, even though you've liked what he've done, he's done so far. Well, who is your quarterback moving forward? You need an answer to that question because, as we all know, whether you have flashbacks to 2001 under John Fox or whether you have flashbacks or 2010 under John Fox, 2001 under George Seifert, we know that you can't get caught without a quarterback. Ask Dave Doran at NC State what happens if you get caught without a quarterback. A little bit of that this year, a lot of that in his first season with NC State. Ask Larry Fedora, no longer the Tar Heels head coach, what happens when you get caught without a quarterback. It is no fun 
pro college or otherwise, the Panthers, wherever they go, with or without Cam Newton, they better find a quarterback that can help them compete at a level that includes playoff contention because when you take a look around the NFL right now, Tom Brady's leading the Patriots. Drew Brees is leading the Saints. Patrick Mahomes, an MVP last year, is leading the Chiefs. Lamar Jackson is an up-and-coming quarterback, leading the Ravens. Russell Wilson, MVP candidate this year, is leading the Seahawks. Aaron Rodgers, the Panthers' opponent with the Packers this coming Sunday, leading Green Bay. Deshaun Watson, leading the Houston Texans. Only one of the top-tier NFL teams at this point this year is really driven by something other than a high-ranking quarterback. I know the Patriots are playing great defense. I'm not saying quarterbacks are the only things propelling these teams into contention. But the 49ers would be the only team where the clear-cut short list of the things that make them special does not really include Jimmy Garoppolo until you get a little further down that list. It's, of course, in San Fran, defense first. Well, the Panthers may have a good chance of duplicating that sort of equation. But if you have the biggest dreams of all, they got to the Super Bowl when it was the MVP version of Cam Newton. If you don't think it's Cam anymore and you don't think it's Kyle Allen or maybe it'll never be Kyle Allen, who's it going to be? Got to have a plan because you can't get caught without a quarterback. 1-800-849-2761. Quickly on college football, then we'll get to Jeremy in Spring Hope who wants to talk NFL. We can glance forward. That was the voice of Jim Beheim. Syracuse hosting Virginia tonight. UNC hosting Notre Dame tonight. All ACC matchups. Wake visiting Boston College tonight as the Danny Manning era continues. NC State fell to Georgia Tech last night without two of the Wolfpack's best players in action. Again, catch Cole Anthony, the star freshman freshman at point guard for the Tar Heels against the Fighting Irish. Duke over Kansas at Madison Square Garden. Duke was not vintage Duke, but Coach K and the boys took a step in the right direction. There is no Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett caliber star power. But Coach K, remember, has taken several different roads to the top of the mountain. Take a look at you know, his early 90s back-to-back -back national championships, yeah, it was a veteran point guard in Bobby Hurley and a National Player of the Year type guy in Christian Leitner and maybe the greatest future pro that Duke has ever produced, a guy named Grant Hill turned out quite nicely, right? That's some star power. Just remember, in 2010, Duke won with a different kind of roster. And in 2015, it won with a yet different kind of roster. This is more a blend of young and old. None of the freshmen is likely to look anything like, at least not as a rookie, what Zion and RJ looked like last year. But this has a sophomore version of Trey Jones. This has Javin Delorier and Jack White and Alex O'Connell and other upperclassmen who were in the rotation last night as the number four Devils beat the number three Jayhawks at Madison Square Garden. College basketball's fair game with your, for your questions and comments. The NFL, fair game, Cam included, and college football. Joey writes on Twitter, and he makes a good point here as I come back to your calls. DG, I agree with what you said about last night's rankings and about have Baylor and Minnesota, still undefeated, remember, having beaten nobody. But the same can be said about Clemson and Alabama. Their only decent win is over Texas A&M, as you said. Yet they get the benefit of the doubt, and Baylor and Minnesota do not. I do think that is a fair point on its face. What I would say as a comeback to your comeback is that this committee is not only looking at the identity of your biggest wins, of course, duh. What's the most important? If you had to boil it down, what are the most important parts of your resume? At this point, 
it's a lack of any losses, right? The top four was 8-0 Ohio State, 8-0 LSU, 8-0 Alabama, and 8-0 Penn State. And these other three unbeatens were also in the top 25. 9-0 Clemson, 8-0 Baylor, 8-0 Minnesota. So at this stage, and later especially, if you have a loss, they're going to be dissecting the loss. To whom did you lose, and by how much, and where, and all those other details. At this point, if you're wondering why Minnesota and Baylor are much lower than Clemson and Alabama, remember Baylor's like 12th and Minnesota's 17th, whereas Clemson's 5th. And you know if the Tigers keep winning again, they're going to end up in the top four when you need to be in the top four. So why are Baylor and Minnesota so low when their list of victims is really not all that different than the top wins for Clemson and Alabama? Alabama's number three. And after that win over Texas A&M, which is a pretty good team for Jimbo Fisher, they're 6-3, and three, the Aggies. They've been in the top 25. And Alabama beat them pretty solidly, 47-28. to 28. That's the Tide's best win. Joey's best point is, where's Alabama's next best win? Where's Clemson's next best win? Because when you ask, where are Minnesota and Baylor's best wins, isn't it also fair to ask, where are the Tide's and the Tigers' best wins? That's where he's right. Because Alabama's second-best win, good luck, is either South Carolina at South Carolina, and the Gamecocks are 4-5 and five right now. They have a losing record. Or 42-3 over Duke, and the Blue Devils are 4-4. Four and four. Alabama's second-best win is either Duke or South Carolina. That's, that's not exactly overwhelming. Similarly, brand-name Clemson. What's their second best win, the Tigers? Again, A&M was their best win, and that's a pretty solid win, 24-10, to 10, and it was actually more dominating than that at Death Valley. Clemson's second best win, take your pick, you can have any one you want, is either at Louisville, which is only 5-3, and three, and that was a thrashing by the Tigers of Scott Satterfield's Cardinals, at Carolina which has a losing record right now at 4-5. and five. And remember, that was only by a point. Tigers 21, Tar Heels 20, uh, 20 even. Or at Boston College, which does have a winning record, but it's only 5-4. and four. Like if you had a top, we would look at the top 25 polls or last night's committee top 25. If you had a top 50, would Louisville or Carolina or Boston College automatically be in your top 50? I'll put it a little bit lower. Let's say top 40. I'm telling you. Louisville, Carolina, and Boston College would not be in the top 40 if that's how far the polls went. So Alabama has exactly one top 40 win, and Clemson has exactly one top 40 win. Doesn't sound all that impressive, right? So how is it different? How is it so different? How are those two brand name resumes so different than the little guy names of Baylor football and Minnesota football? My pushback to Joey's pushback is, the devil is in the details. Because, yes, Alabama and Clemson lack a second quality win. However, they're annihilating people most of the time. And whereas, if you look at Baylor's resume and Minnesota's resume, the most talked about thing is that they don't have many high-caliber victims. Again, I get that. Whereas the committee tells us that margin of victory per se is not a criterion. They will tell you they don't want to encourage blowouts, right? So pure margin of victory is not a criteria. They will also tell you that game control is a criteria. I would argue that they're a whole lot alike. 
If you're dominating somebody, you're dominating somebody, right? And, okay, maybe you put the third stringers in and the game score ends up a little different at the end because one or the other team, you know, has all the backups in. Whatever. Whether you call it margin of victory or not, Alabama is mostly annihilating people. And with the exception of that close call against the Tar Heels, Clemson is mostly annihilating people. When you peel that onion on the resumes of Baylor, again, still undefeated at 8-0, and Minnesota still undefeated at 8-0, Baylor was only 12th in the rankings despite being undefeated. Minnesota only 17th despite being undefeated. Here's the why there. When you peel the onion of that resume for Minnesota, for example, they played Georgia Southern and only won by a field goal. They played at Purdue, which has a 3-6 and six record, and Minnesota won at the Boilermakers by only a touchdown. They played at Fresno State, a middling team, and won by only a field goal. That's not dominating people the way Clemson and Alabama, with only rare exceptions, are dominating people. So that's, those are some of the details behind Minnesota's 8-0. Similarly, with Baylor, some of their wins are close call wins. They needed two overtimes to beat a Texas Tech team that is and 3-5 right now. That's a nail-biter that Alabama has not experienced. Uh, even the Clemson close call against the Tar Heels was at least in regulation, remember, by a point. So it's a 3-5 and five Texas Tech team, and you needed, you needed two overtimes for Baylor to beat them, and that game was in Waco. You beat West Virginia, a 3-5 and five team, by only a field goal. Iowa State is a good win, but you beat them 23-21. to 21. So if the number of big wins doesn't help you understand why some of those other teams. I know everybody loves the conspiracy theory, and you all know what it is. Big name Bama, big name Clemson get the big benefit of the doubt, not because of the caliber and quality of their wins, but because they're big brand names. And little name Baylor football and little name Minnesota football get screwed because they're not big names. Well, it's not that simple. And if you don't look at just a number of quality victims, dive into those details. When you only... When you only beat Rice, Rice is 0-9. Rice, the Rice Owls have zero wins and nine losses. And Baylor went to Rice and won by one possession, 21-13. to Those details matter. And in a world filled with, I would argue, way too many conspiracy theorists, in a world where 99 out of 100 conspiracy theories are ridiculous, if you're just willing to do a little bit more research... I think the details of those victories help explain why so far, why the, those two no-name programs, if you will, are so far down the ladder, despite not having lost a game yet. The good news, again, and the silver lining, is that 8-0 Baylor still plays Oklahoma, still plays Texas. They get both of them at home. And then if you keep winning, the Baylor Bears will play in the Big 12 title game. That's a chance for three huge victories. You go from 8-0 and add three of the best victories you have, you're going to climb in the rankings. 8-0 Minnesota gets undefeated Penn State this weekend at home, visits a good Iowa team, hosts a good Wisconsin team, and then if they keep winning, they'll end, the, they'll end up in the Big, 12, the Big 10 title game against a quality opponent. Minnesota and Baylor are where they are 
in part because of multiple close calls, some of those close calls against really poor opposition. Alabama doesn't have those close calls. Clemson has one, but it's at least against a semi-dangerous Carolina team that as of last Friday has had as good a chance as anybody of playing in the ACC championship game. Jeremy is in Spring Hope and has a very interesting idea for the future of the Carolina Panthers. All right, Jeremy, go ahead and stir the pot. Go ahead. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. All right. Hey, DG. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, I listen all the time. Good show. Thank you. But I got a question. Um, if, they, if they don't uh, foresee in the future to go with Cam and they don't think Allen is the answer, do you think Kemper would take a look at Colin Kaepernick? And you're talking about a plus for the salary cap. I mean, bring him in at the bare minimum, and that leaves you room to do other things with the money that you wouldn't have spent on Cam or Allen. Oh, boy. The Colin Kaepernick question. But For those who don't know, Cam Newton is under contract for next year, but there's growing speculation that it, either he won't want to play on a one-year deal or David Tepper's going to trade him or cut him and make those salary cap savings, you know, almost $20 million in savings if you move on from Cam Newton. We'll see how that shakes out. Obviously, if it's not going to be Cam and you're not confident that Kyle Allen can be the full-time starter beyond this attempt at a playoff run here this season, you got to find somebody else. And if you haven't done this research yet, Saints backup Teddy Bridgewater will be a, a, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Jameis Winston of Tampa Bay may be available. Marcus Mariota of Tennessee may be available. Other old guys are coming to the end of their contracts. Phillip Rivers with the Chargers, Eli Manning with the Giants. Other journeymen will be unrestricted free agents like a Chase Daniel or a Case Keenum. If none of those whet your appetite, you got to find your next quarterback somewhere else. Colin Kaepernick has been out of the league for quite a while now. There are some who believe he could still be a starter in this league, including Pete Carroll, head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, said point blank, there's no doubt, Colin. Ka this was about a year ago he said it, but there's no doubt in his mind that Colin Kaepernick can still be a starter in the NFL. Now others, you know, Steve Logan's been a guest on our show, quarterback guru in his own right, he, d he doesn't think Colin Kaepernick has anything left to give, at least in any kind of offense, the way Steve Logan would want to run it. You know, defenses figured out RPOs and other things that Colin Kaepernick did well. Now you have the rust factor. How good is he going to be three years removed from the last of his stuff at the NFL level? You can't argue that his body of work is way better than almost all NFL backups and, frankly, better than a lot of current NFL starters. But we also know that it's a web of complications to go down Colin Kaepernick Lane. If anybody would do it, it would be David Tepper. David Tepper's not afraid of tweets from the President of the United States. He's not afraid of pushback from his fellow owners. He's not afraid of pushback from his own fan base. Some of them got mad and threatened us to cancel their season tickets when he signed Eric Reed, the guy who was kneeling next to Colin Kaepernick years ago in San Francisco. David Tepper signed Eric Reed, and Eric Reed's still the Panthers' starting safety, working on a pretty big high-dollar contract after he proved himself to the surprise of many skeptics who didn't like him for personal reasons and then extended that to take shots at his playing ability. Eric Reed has shown he can play in this league. He has a new deal. He's making millions again. And he and Colin Kaepernick both have their settlements and that money from the NFL on those collusion-style charges. 
I don't think Colin Kaepernick will be a part of this mix moving forward, but thanks for stirring the pot. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks you work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. I mentioned earlier today that some of the biggest names originally floated for the Florida State football vacancy were and should remain roll your eyes names. It ain't going to be Urban Meyer. I would be shocked if it was Bob Stoops. It's probably now not going to be P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota head coach. Eight no gophers, of course. A sign of his progress there. He just got a big contract and an extension and an increase in his buyout number. So you'd have to pay Minnesota like $10 million just to talk or just to hire away P.J. Fleck after paying an $18 million buyout to make Willie Taggart go away and more millions in assistant coach buyouts to make them go away. As that vacancy remains unfilled and I believe will be for a while, keep your eye on Kentucky's Mark Stoops as a possibility. Uh, Iowa State's head coach Matt Campbell a big buyout there, but a possibility. Some coordinators they're looking at. Mike Leach, our old friend at Washington State, could get into the mix. Tom Allen of Indiana. I don't think Scott Satterfield would leave Louisville after only one year, but everybody's impressed with what Coach Sat has done. Meanwhile, Rutgers, which already has a vacancy. You might not have known that because nobody cares about Rutgers football. They're talking with Greg Schiano again. He's like the only guy in my lifetime who's actually won at Rutgers. There is no tradition there. There is no history of winning. There's little tradition of sending players to the NFL. There's absolute apathy all over the state of New Jersey about Rutgers football. I mean, you want to talk about Florida State is one of the better jobs, top 10 maybe in college football. Rutgers has to be one of the worst power five jobs. I mean, it's almost like you should deserve hazard pay just for taking the job. If Shiano takes it again, I have a feeling he's going to be asking for a lot of money to put up with that stuff. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this, this is everything it. open, man. We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day <laughs> and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. Thanks to Chris Batola of ESPN, Rick Pinnell of the Charlotte Observer, Roy Williams, Tony Bennett, Jim Beheim for their contributions. TV picks, a lot of college hoops, Wake at BC, Notre Dame at UNC, and more. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.